I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hi, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter. And this week has been an extremely busy week, so I haven't had as much time to kind of go through my files and sort through some things, so I do apologize. I'm not going to be beginning with a Quilters Like the Rest of Us interview this week, and I hope that doesn't mean that you're going to turn this episode off right now and stop listening. I know those are great favorites, and I'm looking forward to bringing you one again next week, but this week I'm just not going to be able to pull it off, so I apologize for that. But I do want to welcome you to episode 15, in which we go shopping. So to begin with, I'll be going through some listener comments, and then I'm going to be talking with you a little bit about my own updates and my quilty life. And then when we get into the content of the episode itself, I'm going to be talking about how much fabric to buy when you're out shopping. So let's begin. The first thing I want to do is say thank you so much to everybody who is a subscriber to this podcast and everybody who's listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And when I get emails, that confirms for me that there really are real people out there attached to the numbers that I'm getting. So I appreciate everybody who listens. I appreciate everybody who sends comments. I appreciate everybody that has been posting reviews and star ratings on iTunes and to those folks who have been joining our group in Big Tent. So thank you to all of you. Um, Again, the reason I do this podcast is not to listen to myself talk, and it's certainly not because I think I have some sort of wealth of expertise that I need to share with the masses. Completely the opposite. I'm doing this podcast because I love to hear from you, and I love to get your tips and your ideas because they make me a better quilter. So thank you so much for playing along with me and joining in the conversation. There are a couple of comments in particular I want to lift up on um, episode 13 in which we were classy. I think that's what I called that episode anyway. That's the one in which I talked about taking classes. I got a couple of comments this week. Um, You know, people listen to these episodes at different times. And I've got some episodes from other podcasts that I listen to that I'm probably at least three to four weeks behind on listening. So even if you're listening to an episode well after it's been posted, please still leave comments because I still get them and I still like to read them. Sherry talked about having gone to a particular kind of class that I have really always wanted to go to. And Sherry, I'm just a little bit envious, but now this is on on my list of things to do when I retire and or at least, you know, when the kids are out of the house and maybe I've got some time to be able to do this. Um, Sherry talks about, let's see, she says, several years ago through listening to the Alex Anderson podcasts, which editorial comment here, I miss her podcast. She hasn't done one in a while and I do really miss it. Anyway, back to Sherry. Sherry says, I learned about the Empty Spools seminars at Asilomar, California. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Sherry. Sorry. Asilomar is a small California state park right on the Pacific Ocean on the Monterey Peninsula. In February 2008, I attended a week-long class with Alex Anderson on making stars. It was one of the highlights of my life. The place is so beautiful and peaceful. The site was once a YWCA retreat, and all the buildings are on the historic register. 
There are about 10 classes given in each of five week-long sessions. All are given by nationally known quilt makers. You take one instructor for the whole week, so you really get to learn the technique. It's truly a quilter's paradise. I would highly recommend it to anyone. You don't need to be an expert to take these classes. And then Sherry gave me the link, and it's in the comments, so you'd be able to find it in the comments section to episode 13. But just to make sure it doesn't get buried, um, I will post that Um, link again in the show notes to this episode so thank you sherry i want to get there someday and it does sound like it's a beautiful location and a great opportunity mary sarah also left a comment um saying that she's taken a few quilt classes and really enjoyed them she wants to take one this summer mary take it take it i'm rooting for you um she also talks about they have four quilt shops in Las Vegas, which is great. They all have their own possibility and a, I'm sorry, they all have their own personality and are a lot of fun. And then Mary Sarah goes on to tell me about sergers and I really want one. Um, and in fact, it sounds like one of the ones I was looking at is maybe the one you might have. I haven't done a lot of shopping around yet. I did get a demo while I was on the shop hop of a baby lock with um, the automatic threading, the the blast of air thing. It was really super cool. <laughs> it was a lot of fun to look at. Unfortunately, the price she quoted me for that particular model is not something I can really see my way clear to doing right away. But like I said, I haven't really done any shopping around. I haven't really compared a lot of models to know if that was you know, much more machine than I really need or not. So I'm going to keep shopping and with your encouragement um, I will continue to look into those baby locks because that that is I think really edging its way up towards the top of my list. Francis left a comment on episode 14 in which we were creative. If you recall if you did listen to episode 14 that's the one where I did sort of the debriefing or the walkthrough of the last creativity challenge. And Francis was one of the ones who had sent in a response, um, had actually sent in a project or sent in a photo of a project that she had done. Francis's comment is, she says, it's very cool to see the different quilts. It's so interesting how different our approaches were. It was fun to let my inner art quilter out to play, and I'm looking forward to the next challenge. Well, everybody, there is another challenge, and I'll get to that in a minute. Anne left a comment on the Quilt Shops page. Now, I've had to do a little bit of changing around on my Podbean um, blog site, and there's now four tabs up there. I'll talk about the new one in a minute, but I've had to change the names of the other ones because they were too long and they kept disappearing behind the search engine bar. Uh, So now there's a page, a tab on the top of the page that just says shops and that's where I have listed shops that I've been to other than the shop up from last week and I haven't gotten those up there yet Um, and other folks have been leaving comments with their own favorite shops so I would invite you to do the same please go to http colon slash slash quilter.podbean.com click on shops and leave us comments with your own favorite shops as well in any case Anne says my sister introduced me to her favorite quilt store and now it's my favorite quilt store it's the quilted basket in menominee falls wisconsin i think i'm pronouncing that right not sure the owner's name is Anne wonky <laughs> i'm probably not saying that one right sorry and she is very special my grandmother and those before her were quilters but it was actually Anne with a home ec background who showed me how to less fearlessly approach my machine in one of her classes my sister and i also took advantage when Anne had a quilting retreat with about 14 other women it was so nice and we are still socializing with those met there Anne's shop is three storefronts, and it's very warm and inviting. It feels like entering another world, one of which one of which is very accepting of all level quilters. I feel very much a part of that world. 
So thank you, Anne. I do actually periodically get to Wisconsin, so I'll have to check the map and see if I'm ever going to be anywhere close to Menominee Falls, and I will definitely check out the Quilted Basket if I'm there. Anne also left a comment, and I apologize, I keep forgetting to mention this particular tab. I haven't done it for a while. Remember my You Know You're a Quilter When page. Well, it's still there. Um, It's just now been shortened, and it's just called You're a Quilter, Um, but it's still the same page. You are invited to go in and fill in the blank. You know you're a quilter when dot dot dot. So Anne responded to that um, this week. You know you're a quilter when you look around and realize your spare bedroom is now called a studio. <laughs> so thank you, Anne. Maybe someday my spare bedroom will be a studio. Either that or right now my studio is shared space with my home office and with the kids computer and my husband's computer so what I'd really like to do is eventually kick all the computers out of this room and and just have it as a quilt studio because it's got great lighting in here so maybe someday I've also want to say thank you to those who have stopped by the blogspot, my quilting for the rest of us blogspot.com blog. Francis, Lynn, Diane, Anna, and Virginia all stopped by and left comments at various places in the last week or so. Thank you so much to all of you. And by the way, some of you may wonder about the rather cryptic comments left by Di or Diane. Well, that's because she's my sister, (laughs) and she's ribbing me about the fact that, yes, indeed, I am actually turning into my mother. I have known that for a few years, but it's definitely become confirmed in the last year or so. I have also gotten some emails this week. I don't want to share the context of those because actually um, some of them refer to upcoming episodes (laughs) that I'm planning, so I don't want to give that away. Um, And I'm also not sure I've got permission from the folks who did email me to, to share the context of their emails. But I do want to at least say I've now heard from Scotland. Yay, that's so exciting. You know, you gotta love technology. I've now heard from Scotland. I've heard from Australia. I know I've got some listeners in Canada. That's just so cool. I love that. And I know when I sit down to read all my quilty blogs, I'm reading blogs from Australia and New Zealand and Germany and, well, at least the ones that are in English and and the UK and and just all over the world. Um, Japan, it is so much fun. I love that. Um, I love the fact that our world in some ways is getting so small. That's just cool. So thank you, Scotland. Um, I've also, I have been getting some great input about the upcoming episode I just mentioned. I posted in Big Tent that I am planning to do an episode sometime this summer. It kind of depends on my schedule when I'll actually be able to get this done. But I want to do an episode on teaching kids to quilt. And so I've asked people to share with me their experiences and their best tips or hints or even just funny stories. And I've been getting some input on that. So thank you. Um, Some folks are leaving their comments in Big Tent. Other ones are emailing me because the point I made is if you all put your comments in Big Tent, nobody will have to listen to the episode because you'll just go to Big Tent and read the comments. So if you want to help me in giving some fresh and new material for the podcast, you can just email it to me and I won't share it with anybody until we get to the podcast itself. So again, all the various ways that you can contact me. Um, the one website to remember is http colon slash slash quilter.podbean.com. On that site, you will find links to my um, quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com blog, and you will find links to Twitter and to follow me on Twitter. Um, please do so I can follow you too. And you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com which, by the way, Sandy Quilts also being my Twitter name, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z, all one word. So that's, again, that's pretty much what you have to remember. Now, in terms of my Sandy update and other news, 
I did finally make progress on the second of the five charity quilts. I think I've talked about these charity quilts in a previous episode. Um, I don't remember how much I've said, but I have five charity quilts I need to finish. My part in all of these charity quilts is just the quilting, backing, binding, that part of it. Um, Other people have put together the tops. This is truly one of those, you know, it takes a village to make a quilt (laughs) type of stories. Um, We had somebody donate, uh, somebody completely unknown to us, a stranger, donated some uh, quilt squares or fabric squares, actually fabric rectangles. They're five by seven, and there's a reason for that, but don't worry about that. Not important. Um, We had, I believe, something like almost 400 of these uh, Patrick rectangles sent to us of a variety of fabrics. Uh, no seeming rhyme or reason, and they're not all 100% cotton. It's it's a real variety of fabrics. And so another woman from my church and at least one, maybe two of her quilt friends did agree to try to put these uh, Patrick rent rectangles into quilts of some sort, and we didn't really know, you know what size or how many they were going to do, and they just spent some time kind of laying them out, tried to figure out which squares went best with the other ones, and trust me, that was tricky uh, with some of this fabric. And then they pieced what ended up being five tops that are kind of between crib size and throw size. They're a little bit kind of a big crib quilt, but a little bit too small for a throw, Um, but still good size for kids. And so I had said, boy, if you guys do that much, just give me the piece tops and I'll finish them off. I'll do the, you know, the backing and quilting and binding. Well, the first one I did, I I took all five of them to to my um, quilt guild retreat back in the middle of May and I had you know, I was real optimistic. I thought I'd be able to whip through all five of them that weekend and maybe even get some other projects done. Well, I worked on that first one for something like 10 or 11 hours. It was brutal, 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 brutal. And most of that, you know, I think was because I just didn't have the right setup for machine quilting while I was at this retreat. I have, you know, the the acrylic table extension table that comes out from your machine but it's still you know I was just constantly catching the fabric on the end of the table the thread kept breaking I even broke a needle at one point I mean this was a brutal experience it's probably one of the worst quilting experiences I've ever had was trying to finish that thing so that being said once I finally got that one done and um I believe I threw it under the table and stuffed something in front of it so I wouldn't even have to look at it at that point. It was a really emotional experience. Um, I decided I wasn't touching the rest of them for the rest of the weekend. I just did some other fun projects. Well, and, you know, I've been kind of putting it off. So finally this week I pulled another one out. I had done the backing um, the weekend that my sister was up, Memorial Day weekend. But this week I actually pulled it out basted it, spray basted it together, set my sewing cabinet up. You know, I've got the the raise up back leaf and everything so I can do machine quilting on it. And I sat down to do it and I was thrilled because I got it completely quilted in probably just a little over an hour. Um, I was just ecstatic that this one went so smoothly. And part of the reason was not only because I had the right machine quilting setup, but because I had a new foot for my sewing machine partially thanks to the shop hop, although I didn't actually buy the foot. I have, I inherited from my mother a Janome, and it has the AccuFeed system, and um, for those of you who don't know Janome's, it's sort of a built-in walking foot, basically. It, it's a special foot that you attach, but then the, the rest of it drops down from the back of the machine. Well, I didn't know that you could actually get different feet for this AccuFoot, AccuFeed system. I thought it was just that one foot, and it's always kind of been a little bit frustrating for me that I couldn't 
that when I am using that AccuFeed system, there's no way I can brace it up against a, a, to get the quarter-inch seam. It was hard to do machine quilting and really see where I was going, etc. And then when I went on the shop hop and there was a store there that specialized in Janome and had all the accessories and everything, all of a sudden I was introduced to the world of specialty feet for the AccuFeed. Now, mind you, I know there's specialty feet for sewing machines. I've got specialty feet for, you know, just regular sewing. I did not know that they you could get them also for this AccuFeed. And so I looked at them, debated a couple of them, and then I had this sudden memory, wait a minute, I think I have an AccuFeed foot at home in a package unopened. And when I had inherited this machine from mom, I'd also inherited all the accessories and, you know, and the, the feet and everything. But there was this one AccuFeed foot in a package that at the time I just thought mom had bought the foot not realizing she already had one, you know, because that wasn't unusual with mom. She had a lot of stuff. Um, and so I just had put it aside. I hadn't really done anything with it. Well, when I got home, I realized it was one of the feet I had been looking at buying in the store. And I'm thrilled that I didn't buy it because it's the stitch in the ditch foot. Um, if you're unfamiliar with a stitch in the ditch foot, you can get one for your regular sewing machine too. It's got a flange that comes down kind of right in the middle to guide you along the ditch. What a huge difference that thing made. Anybody that's got a Janome with the AccuFeed system, if you don't have that stitch in the ditch foot, get it. It's fantastic. I love it. It just really, I moved through in all the places where the seams actually matched, I, were able, I was able to go through and do stitch in the ditch. Um, it really, it just made a huge difference. So I'm thrilled that thank you, Mom, for um, yet again giving me another gift that I can play with. I did also buy a couple of other specialty feet for that same Janome based on one of the podcasters. And I apologize, I can't remember. I know it's one of two podcasters. I don't remember which one, and so I don't want to name one of them and, and get it wrong and I apologize but you know who you are some another podcaster also has a Janome and was talking about the um the new free motion foot I have an older free motion foot there's a new one that's out now and there's also a special bobbin case out now for the free motion quilting and it just it moves the thread through a little bit differently and I didn't know about those before listening to that podcast and so when I was at this Janome store I looked at them and I bought the free motion foot I do not yet have the bobbin case because they were out of stock, but I have it on order and I can't wait to get it um, because the podcaster promised that the fabric moves through it like butter, I believe she said. Um, And I'm really excited about my quilts moving through it like butter, except for the fact that I will then no longer really have any good excuses for why my machine quilting really stinks, but I'm looking forward to getting that. So anyway, again, there's my... um, my cell on Janome specialty feet for AccuFeed. Um, now I'm saving up to get the quarter inch AccuFeed foot because I, I would really love to have that too. Uh, so that's pretty much the only sewing I've gotten done. Actually, that's the great amount of sewing I've gotten done. I mean, it, it didn't take long, but I'm so thrilled to have that done. I'm hoping within a few days to be able to get the binding on that uh, charity quilt, and then I'll have two out of the five done. So that's a thrill. Other news? Yes, indeed, it's time for another creativity challenge. Woohoo! I am so excited. I had such a great time with the last one. I can't wait to see what happens with this one. I have posted on the http colon slash slash quilter.podbean.com blog 
you will now see a new tab along the top, and that tab says Creativity Challenge. Last time I struggled a little bit with once I posted the photo, it got buried. You know, every time I posted a new episode, it would go further and further down the page. So now I have created a special tab, so it's always going to be right there. You can go back and refer to it as often as you want. All of the guidelines for the Creativity Challenge are right there, as well as the photo. Now, if you remember last week's episode, I mentioned that I was debating what photo I was going to choose, and I couldn't decide if I wanted to use the one that really kept nagging at me because I thought it might be kind of mean. Well, you know, I'm a firm believer if something is stuck in your head, that means it's meant to be. So, yeah, I'm using <laughs> I'm using a photo of a gorilla. <laughs> you're going to love it. It's a great photo. I happened to catch this wonderful look on the gorilla's face when I took this photo. And don't worry, for as close up as it is, I was on the other side of glass. So there were no gorillas endangered in the taking of that photo. Um, If you can, see if you can look at his eyes because it's his eyes that I just love about this photo. If you have problems seeing them, because I had to reduce the resolution of the photo to put it on the web page easily, if you have problems seeing them and if if you really think you want to do this creativity challenge, email me and I'll send you the high-res version of the photo. That's not a problem. Remember that I don't care how you are inspired by this photo. You can be inspired by the subject matter. You can be inspired by the color. You can be inspired by the mood. You can be inspired by the texture. You can be inspired by a memory that it it engenders in you. I don't care. However this photo inspires you, do some project based on that inspiration. And also, I don't care what the project is. Last time we all happened to do kind of smallish wall hangings, with the exception of Virginia. Virginia did a block, and I think she told me her block is going to be turned into a throw quilt, and she promised me she'd send me a picture when the the entire throw quilt is done. Um, And hopefully she will let me share that photo with you too, because the colors were beautiful. I can't wait to see it as a whole quilt. And again, with the Creativity Challenge, if you use that photo as an inspiration in another project that you're already planning on doing for something else, that's great too. It doesn't have to be a unique project to this Creativity Challenge. If you're doing a block swap, if you're doing, you know, if you're already working on a quilt for somebody else and you decide you're going to be inspired by this, fantastic. We all love multitaskers. Go for it. Oh, and the other thing is I'm actually giving you more time this time. I know I only gave a month last time, and and actually part of the reason I did that was because I do believe if you give too long, people tend to forget about something. But since it's summer and people have a lot of stuff going on, including me, I'm giving you actually all summer to do this one. The deadline is not until Monday, September 6th, which not only gives you the summer, it gives you all of Labor Day weekend too. So again, midnight by September 6th, send me a photo of your completed project and your name will get entered in for a drawing. And this time the drawing is going to be a collection of four fat quarters. I'm very excited. I've already got them. They're sitting on my shelf. I'm ready to give them away. So please join in the creativity challenge. It was so much fun last time. I hope we can get more to play along this time. At least check it out. Think about it. And then if you decide you want to do it this time, just post a comment on that page so that I, you know, we can start seeing who all is going to be involved this time. But again, even if you don't post a comment, you can still send me your link by the deadline and your name will still get entered, even if I never knew you existed before that. Also, you don't have to be a listener of the podcast to play. So if you want to print off that photo and take it to your next guild meeting, or if you want to show it around to some friends and encourage them to play along too, I would love to have them do that. Please do that. I'm going to be doing the same thing with my own guild. So, again, go to http colon slash slash quilter.podbean.com and click on the Creativity Challenge 
tab to see the photo and get all the information about the challenge. Looking forward to it. Okay, pod quilters, time to get on with episode 15 in which we go shopping. As I've mentioned, I was on a shop hop last weekend, so it really only seemed fitting that I should do something today about how much fabric to buy when you're not buying for a particular project. I do want to start out by saying, in a perfect timing, I get Google alerts on quilting. I get Google alerts on some other topics too, but I do do one for anything with the word quilting, quilter, anything like that in it. And so um, just yesterday I got my email that has, you know, the links to all the different places where the word quilting or quilt or whatever it is I searched for showed up. And there was an article in the Grand Junction Sentinel this week talking about, I believe the name of the article was Recession Can't Unravel Quilters or something along those lines. I I kind of abbreviated it in my notes. But this article says, and I'm quoting here, a Quilting in America 2010 survey shows that quilting enthusiasts spend almost $3.6 billion annually on their passion. Even in the face of recent economic challenges, their spending has increased by 9% since the last survey results in 2006. Numbers were up from 2006 in other categories as well. The number of U.S. households with a quote-unquote dedicated quilter, one who spends more than $600 a year on quilting supplies, is up 13% with a little more than 1 million. And the average yearly expenditure is up by 10% at $2,442. While dedicated quilters continue to indulge their hobby, the survey found that the total number of quilting households declined by 14% to 16.38 million. Sorry, 16.38 million. This downturn is attributed to casual quilters whose interests encompass other crafts and casual quilters are less able or less willing to commit funds to a hobby, according to survey officials. However, the average yearly expenditure among all quilting households is up a healthy 27%. So if you notice the numbers, the number of households is down, but the spending is up. So (laughs) apparently there's fewer of us and we're spending more money. I certainly did my part last weekend. So, do you struggle to decide how much fabric to buy when you're not buying for a specific project? I I mean, I have to say, for years, I really did only shop for the project. One, I was a new quilter. I didn't really know what kind of fabric to buy for a stash anyway, so I just chose for the project I was working on at the time. Uh, The second reason is I really had little or no storage space. I've talked about that on an earlier episode. I had no closets. I had bins in the basement and a very small basement, too. And also, at that point, I had little or no money. I really had almost no disposable income. I really actually, I had no disposable income. I just occasionally snuck some out to buy a little bit of fabric for an occasional project. Now, at this stage of my life, you know, 15 years later, I quilt a whole lot more than I used to. I have more space. And I do have just a little bit more disposable income, although I have to say being a year or two away from double college tuitions will nip that right in the bud. But mostly the main difference now, and maybe this is because I have a little more time now that my kids are older and, you know, it's different being a mom to a college age and older high school kid than it was being a mom to toddlers. Um, I do have a little bit more time partly when I get trapped at home with no car because somebody's driving it. In any case, I want to be able to be spontaneous. You know, if I get a whim to start a project at 5 o'clock on a Sunday night when all the shops are closed, I really want to have a big enough stash that I could actually seriously consider starting something. So I've really been pretty intentional about building my stash this last couple of years. So that means not only do I have to have some thought about what I'm actually missing from my stash, I have to know pretty much how much I have to buy 
if I do see it. Now, personally, I have fallen into some habits myself. I kind of have some standard amounts that I go to, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I do want to start with some other folks' tips and hints first. First of all, in order for you to decide how much fabric is right for you, you have to know what kind of quilter you are. Because the amount I buy, the amount that Alex Anderson buys, the amount that somebody on a website buys may not really work for you. You have to know what kind of quilter you are. You have to figure out what kind of quilts or what kind of fabric objects you tend to make most frequently. If you mostly do small projects, a lot of applique or scrap quilts, then fairly small quantities will suffice in your stash. But if you mostly do large bed quilts that only have a few coordinated fabrics in them, you'll need a lot more fabric quantity of each fabric that you have. So the first thing I would suggest doing is going through some of the patterns you've made in the past or you know just thinking through some of the projects figure out kind of what was the average amount of fabric that you used for those projects Um, or the other thing is if you've got some magazine articles patterns uh, some books that you think you might want to make in the future go through them and look at kind of what's the average amount you know how much does it typically require for a border how much does it typically require for you know the the pieces in the quilt itself you can kind of figure out for yourself roughly how much you need to do now for me you know I've been quilting about 15 years I sort of know now more or less what kind of quilter I am I know more or less what kind of how much fabric I'm generally going to need for certain kinds of fabrics Um, that doesn't mean I don't mess up So I will tend to, um, if I have a fabric that I really, really love, I will tend to buy more because guarantee it, (laughs) the minute you try to use that fabric, you'll discover you don't have enough. And then, of course, it's no longer being produced. So anyway, that's the first thing I would suggest you do is know yourself and know what kind of projects you tend to do and what that might lead you to do some other considerations and I I did find some of these you know some of these are my own experience some of these I did find in other places Um, here's things to consider you will need a larger amount of a fabric if it's something you'll use frequently for example is the fabric in question a really good background fabric or is it a really good blender fabric in that case you might want to buy a little bit more because it's something you could use in several projects You'll also need a larger amount, certainly if it's a directional print or a stripe. You always have to buy more to account for the directional nature because you often have to cut it in specific ways to get the effect you want, so you have to buy plenty. You'll also need a larger amount if you're doing a stack and whack or a kaleidoscope style quilt because you have to pay attention to the repeat of the design. If it's a bigger repeat, you need even more fabric, so you know, pay attention to that kind of thing. And again, if you think you're going to want to do some stack and wax or some some kaleidoscope style spend some time with the spend some time with the books or on the websites and kind of study what sort of fabrics they're telling you to get what they tell you about the repeat and then keep that in your head when you're at the fabric store you'll also need a larger amount if you think you'll use it as a border you certainly need a larger amount if you think you're going to use it as a backing you may also have to use a larger amount if you're going to fussy cut it or not. That depends on the project. If you're only fussy cutting a few motifs out to use as accent pieces on another project, you may not need much. However, if you're going to be fussy cutting to create centers of multiple blocks or even just to get the right part of fabric to show up in certain pieces, you're going to need more. So give yourself some elbow room. 
And then finally, you will need a larger amount if you think you're going to be sorry if you run out of it and you can't find it again. Because again, there's some fabrics that seem to stay around forever, but never the ones you really love. (laughs) So those are when you're going to need a larger amount. Is it something you're going to use frequently? Is it directional? Is it a stripe? Are you going to be fussy cutting it? Are you going to be using it as a stack and whack or a kaleidoscope style quilt? Are you going to be using it as a border? Are you going to be using it as a backing? Are you going to really cry if you can't find it again? Those are all the the times that you'll need a larger amount. You can get away with buying a lesser amount, however, if you generally make smaller projects like wall hangings, tote bags, home deck items, those kinds of things. You need a lesser amount if you really like a scrappy effect. So you might collect a lot of one type of fabric, but in small amounts of each. Um, You'll also need a lesser amount if you like to do a lot of applique or crazy quilts or other types of quilting like paper piecing or whatever that require more small pieces than large ones. Now I do have to say, I was as I was doing a little bit of internet research on this, and again, I didn't have time to do a whole lot, but I did do a little bit. Um, one conversation I read on one website, the, all these folks were saying, oh yeah, I always buy two or three yards of any fabric. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Um, I do have several fabrics on my shelf that I do have that much of, but not no, not the vast majority of them are much smaller. Bonnie Hunter of Quiltville, I referred to her back when I did the... Um, the episodes on scraps she's big on scrap quilts she actually says in her website that she has now put herself on a no buy because she feels her stash is quite big enough thank you very much um that's not her exact wording but that was definitely the impression you get of what her wording was but she said basic back when she was still buying fabric she says she basically bought a yard of anything that was just cuz And she does remind us that we don't have to hoard fabric. It'll keep being printed in new and pretty colors. And this is the other thing. I did, when I first started quilting, if I saw a fabric I liked, I did tend to buy more of it because I was so afraid it was going to be gone and I'd never have it again and I wouldn't be able to make more quilts with it. Well, what I've learned now is making one quilt with a pretty fabric is really enough and I can move on to the next pretty fabric because there's going to be new pretty fabric produced next month you know so don't hoard fabric you don't need to buy massive quantities of a pretty fabric because there will be a next pretty fabric you know don't don't hoard that kind of thing now for myself I tend to keep it really simple and I work in basic increments mostly because I don't like doing math (laughs) so when I was looking at uh Alex Anderson has a book called Fabric Shopping, and she does go through each type of fabric, and she suggests, you know, she says, this is about how much I buy of each. She tends to buy a third yard of a lot, and I don't like doing that kind of math. So where she buys a third of a yard, I tend to buy a half a yard. For me, a half of a yard is sort of my default position. So, and that's because, first of all, for the most part at this time in my life, I'm tending to mostly make smaller projects. I'm making very, very few bed quilts. In fact, I think I've only made two so far. Secondly, I'm really starting to enjoy using multiple fabrics. I do sort of a scrappy style, although I don't actually use realized scraps. I will use, like, for example, a variety of neutral backgrounds for blocks. So I may have coordinates as the focus fabrics, but then I might throw in a variety of background type fabrics and stuff. So I'm kind of playing around with that more. And that means I don't need necessarily larger quantities of fabric. So here's my more or less my basic rule of thumb but it's not a hard and fast rule of thumb it also sort of depends on what mood I'm in at the time how much fabric I'm buying at any one time 
whether I have proje- projects going in the offing that I think I might use something for and, and you know, kind of what position the stars are in. I don't know. <laughs> but generally speaking, here's what I will do. For basic stash fabrics, these are your neutrals, your blacks, your whites, things that are really easy to mix and match and kind of provide that foundation for everything else. I will tend to buy a half yard or a yard. Um, I will tend to buy the yard if it's a kind of an unusual stash fabric, maybe if it's a a neutral that's particularly nice or a different type of pattern than I've seen or print than I've seen in other times. Generally speaking, I'll buy a half yard. Sometimes I will buy a yard. I will buy a half yard of specialty fabrics, like all of those Stonehenge fabrics that I bought on my shop hop. Um, I mentioned in my last episode I used Stonehenge for the um, border on my creativity challenge, and I, I think I mentioned in that that I've just fallen in love with this line of fabric. And sure enough, the very first store I went to on my shop hop had a whole bunch of it, and I just went to town. So I bought a half yard of all of those because those are... One, they're good stash fabrics. Some of them will make very good blenders and such um, in their context. Other ones are such a unique fabric, you wouldn't, a little bit goes a long way. So I only bought a half yard of each of those. Landscape fabrics, that kind of thing. I tend to buy only half a yard because those I'm going to be using in smaller pieces. Um, I buy a yard of any stash fabric that I think I'd use more than once or in a larger project. So, you know, really good backgrounds. Like I said earlier, those neutrals that are kind of particularly unique, those I will tend to buy a yard of. If something is a directional or a focus fabric, especially if it's got a slightly larger print, I will buy two to three yards. I definitely buy three yards if I think it's a potential border fabric. I don't tend to buy backing fabrics just to have in my stash. Part of that is now because I've inherited a lot from my mom, so I don't really need to. But I will tend to wait until I've got a project done, and then I'll go buy backing for it. I tend not to have a lot of it sitting around because I don't want it kind of taking up space mostly. So I will rarely buy, you know, eight, nine yards of something. So that's kind of, you know, like I said, I like to keep it simple for myself. I work in half-yard increments half yard, yard, one yard, two yard, three yards. I don't buy, you know, a yard and a half of something. Um, I have one or two of those on my stash, in in my stash from previous shopping trips years ago, and I've discovered it just doesn't feel right to me. (laughs) I tend to work in, you know, one half yard and then yard increments after that. Um, So that's kind of my modus operandi. Again, I'm not saying that's what everybody should do. That's what works for me, and that's because I now know kind of more or less what sort of quilter I am. Does that mean that when I decide to work on a project and I pull out the amount of fabric and I, you know, the fabric requirements and I go to my stash, do I automatically always have enough of every fabric? No. But I probably have enough of at least some of the fabrics that then I can then go out and shop and pull in those fabrics I don't already own. And that being said, that's actually where EQ comes in pretty handy, Electric Quilt, because you can scan in your fabrics and use them in a design, and then you can actually, and I've done this several times, I actually resize the design until it comes down to the amount of fabric I do actually have in my stash, so you can work exactly with what you have, which is really handy. So again, my biggest tip is know yourself first. Know what type of quilts you tend to make most often, or what type of quilts you think you might want to make. Know how much storage space you have and how much of a stash you're willing to live with. You know, if you're tempted to buy four or five yards of one particular fabric without any real purpose in mind, are you willing to give up space for four yards 
of four other fabrics. In other words, you know, that one five yard piece is taking up the space that five different fabrics of one yard each might take up. So you need to do that kind of, you know, sort of relative space math in your head as well. Um, again, you can go on the internet, you can find out what other people purchase um, for things. You can, Alex Anderson's fabric shopping book is a very helpful one. It is out of print now, but you can still buy it used on Amazon really cheaply. I got mine for three or four bucks, I think. But it's really important that you develop your own habits and kind of know what you want to do. Again, if you absolutely fall in love with a fabric, go ahead and buy a little bit more of it because it won't be there tomorrow. On the other hand, the next pretty fabric will. So that's kind of my experience. Um, when you're on a shop hop, go on a cash-only basis <laughs> because I didn't and I learned my lesson and I really should have. But anyway... I hope that you do go out and do some fabric shopping. I hope you enjoy your little fabric therapy um, because fabric is probably much less expensive than going to a therapist would be. And, uh, you know, until our next episode, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 